Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Man, it just uh, got cold out the last week or so. <laughs> yeah, Winter's did. here. Like I don't know what happened to fall. It's come and gone. We spring forward into, in, or fall back into fall, into winter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the clock changes just earlier today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's here, it's here. Well, how about you? I, What's going on? You've been awfully busy. I hate daylight savings time, like with a passion. Hot take. Like it, it's useless. It causes <laughs> headaches. It causes traffic. It causes like anxiety right. to my kids. Like, you know, it, it doesn't really affect me. The fallback, you know, I was like, oh, I get an extra hour or whatever. Or and then the spring forward, it's like, oh, I lose an hour, like whatever. You know, it doesn't really affect my life that much. But now that I have kids and seeing how much it affects their routine and their schedule and tonight, like all of a sudden, Patrick, my my oldest hit a switch and we're like, what is wrong? And then we look down the clock and we realize, well, instead of eight o'clock, it's like he thinks it's nine o'clock and like, you know, it's just, I don't know, hot take. I hate daylight savings time. <laughs> now that makes a lot of sense though. I I wouldn't have approached it from that angle, but uh, yeah, I hear you. I, although... My cat did start, he was just yipping at like 7 o'clock. And I'm like, what the heck are you doing, Dumbo? He's just Because uh, it's 8 o'clock. He loud it as he could be. It's 8 o'clock and he wanted his, his wet food. Exactly, yeah. So mm. I need to get rid of it. Like, let's actually do something in Congress. Get, get rid of daylight savings time, please. Coming from a PhD biochemist, I think he knows what he's talking about. We we're not farmers anymore. We don't need we we don't need it. I think I also think like there's like farmers out there that say like you don't need daylight savings time. So was the, I, I should know, but that was the original impetus, like the agrarian calendar or something. Yeah, I think sunlight. it had to do with like the the ability to maximize your day in sunlight. Right. Right. Did it have anything to do with? the industrial revolution and like the work when i think about five. that when, when i think about that we're going way off topic here but when i think about that no matter what the farmer is going to get up you know and like and do stuff either in the light or not in the light so like do they even care like <laughs> well all right we got to ask scott coleman he's our resident farmer he, he is our resident farmer so but you know like Arizona doesn't even do daylight savings time. They're just like, screw it. Yeah, how does that work? So their time zone... They locally, they locally change the it. whole state? The whole state. Yeah, so like depending on the time of the year, I think like if you live in like Riverside, California, like like you, if you live on California, like on, on a side touching Arizona, like at any point you, you could be like one to two hours like difference from, from them, depending on like, you know, that's crazy. I'm I had a friend who she used to live in California and then she worked oh, in Arizona. Boy. Yikes. And it was like all messed up. You change your clock every time you're driving. Yes. My goodness. Yeah, I don't know, man. But uh <laughs> anyway. Our guest today has absolutely nothing to do with daylight savings time. <laughs> but pushing the clocks back an hour keeps us one hour further away from his publication date. Which is this Thursday, November 11th, when our guest Eric Bishop's first book comes out, The Body Man. And a lot of you have seen his work on social media, and we are happy to, well, I'm happy since, Chris, you couldn't make the interview. But I was happy to talk to him all about the book, all about the process he has gone through years in the making, getting this book to print, so any aspiring authors out there... Eric has some great advice for you. Never quit. Make it happen. And uh, I think you'll be inspired by what he has been through and the excitement coming this week with the publication of The Body Man. So enjoy this interview. Today, I am joined by a special guest and friend of the podcast, soon-to-be-published author with the release of his debut novel, The Body Man. Welcome, Eric Bishop. Thank you. Appreciate coming on, especially a, a podcast dedicated to my favorite, Vince Flynn. So, 
the master, the master, the master. Absolutely. He's on my Rushmore for sure. All right. And I can tell in the body man, there are a lot of Flinnianisms, as we like to call them. I could definitely see the inspiration that Vince was to your, your work. Yeah, he absolutely was him and Clancy. I, I got my love for thrillers. My dad used to actually work for the phone company and uh, he would get, you know, so much downtime, they'd be in manholes or up on bucket trucks and they just have hours. So they'd read. So he'd bring home these paperbacks, these worn paperbacks. And that was the first thing I started reading was Clancy, who is still the master for me. Right. Um, but Flynn came along. I think I was in college. I found my first year. No, it was my first year. It was, it was right when I was getting out of college is what it was when he first came on the scene. And like with a lot of writers, I think he learned from his favorites and learned his own style. And so he, you know, really perfected, I think what Tom did um, with his writing style, which was, you know, Tom, I, you know, I've got his books up here there. Tom gives you the dictionary. He gives you everything. And so what I think Vince did brilliantly was he gave you so much good quality stuff, but he was able to keep it concise. Right. Um, and I think a lot of writers learn then from Vince and that's how I, I started writing probably because of Tom, but I think Vince helped me and or just reading his books helped me really um, perfect my own style and um, really just keep it more brief, you know, then you could go on and on and on for some stuff. And, um, and that works for some authors and works for some genres, but uh, yeah, I think Vince really changed, changed the political thrillers. Um, and now everyone you're seeing since then has really been, um, in some way emulating, I think what Vince did, or at least a lot of people are. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, since we're getting there with your inspirations, tell us a little bit about who, who you are, how you got into writing. I know it's been a long journey. I've enjoyed seeing it documented on your social media and you just are a power player in the social media game. So can you tell us who is Eric Bishop, not just the author, but the dad, the family man, the adventurer, how'd you come to be where you are? Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, after school, I got a, I got a business degree, had a financial management degree. Uh, so I started working corporate America jobs. Um, I started writing actually in college. I actually started with, of all things, poetry. Um, I've actually looked back on some of the poetry I wrote in college and, you know, like shudder, <laughs> like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Um, but yeah, I, I read a lot of Shakespeare as a kid. Uh, I actually have his complete works down here in the bottom of the bookshelf. I can't see the bottom. Um, and, you know, that kind of just got the bug started with me of liking to express in the written form. And uh, while some people thought writing was like a chore, um, I didn't, unless the caveat, unless I'm being told what to write. Now that can easily, I mean, as a teacher yourself, um, you know, when you're getting told to do something, sometimes you don't enjoy it as much. Right. Um, but when you have that free will, you have that ability to do what you want, uh, it's a big deal. So um, but yeah, after college, actually, I was, I wrote actually a book with a friend. I can't now that the, <laughs> drawing a blank what the name of it even was. Um, but we actually wrote chapters and I would write a chapter, then he would write the next chapter. We went back and forth and, um, you know, more of a fun thing to do. And, um, but it was, you know, pushing close to a hundred thousand words. I actually pulled the document up probably about seven or eight years ago. And again, I shuddered at it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. But again, it was that creativity coming out and, I think at that time I wanted to write, I wanted to write a book and I never stuck with it. So I started quite a lot of, I have a file called, I have a file called my computer. It's, I have a file called books. There's a lot of folders under there. There's a lot of books. Four completed. I've got four. The body man was the first one I published, but I have three others I completed. And I'll talk about that in, if you want in a few minutes. Um, but I have another folder called old books. And so those are the <laughs> things I started pretty much around college up until probably 10 years ago or so. Um, and what I found with that is Eric wanted to be creative, but Eric didn't have the dedication or zeal to finish anything. So that's where I was. So I would write something. I would, you know, write 20, 30, 40 pages or something. And I, I quit. I'd stop doing it. Um, so come 2014, I had a really good idea for a new book series and it was, I was, I actually dreamed out or, or planned out seven books in a series. So fairly audacious, probably. I had an, an agent tell me that one time, how could you dare think you could come up with the storyline for seven books? And I looked at this guy and it's in New York city at 
thriller fest and i looked at him and i won't repeat his name and i was just like i mean if you're gonna write her how could you not have that <laughs> that ability I, I don't know glad he didn't wasn't interested in my book that's for sure um but no so i so I, it took a while but i sat i planned it out and in 2014 i said okay i'm gonna start a book and i'm gonna finish the book and that was my goal it wasn't of course, I wanted to write the best book I could, but my primary goal was I have this whole folder of unfinished works. Why don't I finish something this time? Um, so I did. And I, it took me took me only about three and a half months to write that first draft. It's not published. So maybe that's right. It's not because it wasn't that good. But, um, you know, I thought I was on cloud nine when I finished it. Uh, I finished it in Yosemite. So I finished it like the most amazing place you can you can finish a book. It was the best memory one of my best memories of my life uh, besides my kids and some family stuff, but uh, um, it was so cool. And then I thought, okay, it's here. It comes here. It comes. They're all, you know, so I started pitching it. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know the market. And um, so that was 2014. So, you know, Mike, I'm talking to you and it's 2021 and the first right. book's coming out. Right. <laughs> so that that's, but that's kind of the story for a lot of authors. It's right. there's very few. I don't, first I, there's no overnight success. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist in the publishing world. There's people that hit it big on their first book, but even that, they didn't write that book in three months and then boom, they become this famous person. They caught a good breaks, maybe wrote a brilliant book, um, but you know the stars aligned for that person and they made it. But the average Joe out there um, that has that desire, that zeal to write a book, looking at four to six books probably before you're maybe have a career on your hands that you can actually sustain it um so yeah so it was a, it was a good that first book was a good punch in the gut um but it was an amazing memory and i also i learned a lot learned how to write learned what not to do and i'm still learning that i um even with the body man you know the when the publisher sent it to editing and gave me the copies back and looking at all the things to change and all that it's like Oh man, I thought I knew what I was doing. You know, apparently I have a lot still to learn. So, <laughs> hey, I think all of that, you know, just the process over these years and then even seeing that first copy, you know, is important for people to see that this is a process. Yeah. It's not it a, a one time thing. You can't get discouraged at the first, you know, bump in the road. And like mm -hmm. they say, uh, what is it? Journey of a thousand miles begins with that one step. And you saying, I'm going to finish this book. Even yeah. if that wasn't your best book, even if that was not going to be your first book you publish, you got that right. one done and that was your goal. You checked it off and then that gave you the momentum to carry forward. Absolutely. And that that's the kind of the best. And it, it was an advice that I made up. Um, the first person I heard say it was actually Brad Thor um, was the advice of never quit. Um, I built in a pretty sure it was Brad that had said, and again, he might've heard it from someone else, but I just, first one I attributed to was he said, the only difference between a published author and an unpublished author is the published author never quit. Mm -hmm. And that's the, you know, when I'm on social media, uh, social media has got its pros and its cons. I'm on it way too much probably, but I do try to convey as often as I can, that positivity that people need. And it's from the heart. It's, it's what I truly believe is if you want to accomplish anything in life, you have to bust your ass and you're gonna have to do the hard work. You know, you're not going to fall into money. You're not going to fall into fame, which I hope people don't want that, but you know, you, you're going to have to work hard and you're probably going to fail. Um, and hopefully you learn some lessons from that. But when it comes to at least for writing, it, it, it crosses other things, but of course, especially for writing, I constantly try to tell people, I even put it in my acknowledgements that I was just reading through the other night. That was super exciting to read my acknowledgements in my own book. Um, but that's the, the central theme of what I try to put in there is to people is, look, if you start something, don't quit. Um, even if you do it just for yourself. Um, I tend to view writing as a very, not a selfish motive or anything, but I write what I like to read. Um, I've had people suggest that over the years, um, even family or friends say, well, why don't you, you know, you're not getting anywhere with these political thrillers. Why don't you write historical or write this, write that? It's like, it's not what I want to write. And so if I'm right, and some people can do that. Some people can write something outside their interests. For me, they're going to see I'm a big hypocrite real fast. Because if I write something that I don't enjoy what I'm writing, it's not going to work. So write what you like, write for yourself. But I do really stick to it is if you start something, finish it. You might be the only one that ever reads it. It might be an absolute piece of dog crap you know what, you started it, finish it for yourself just for the sense of accomplishment. Because I think if you do that, 
even if it's a horrible book, um, maybe you'll quit. Maybe that's the last, but at least you accomplished it. And you learned something. Even if you You do end up quitting, you learned maybe that was not what gave you that, that passion or that drive. But what, what you probably will happen with a lot of people is they'll realize, man, that was really hard. But man, that sense of accomplishment. Like I said, when I finished that first book at Yosemite, um, you know, I got emotional. I get emotional with every book I finish. Um, and they're a gift. They, I really believe they're a gift because there's a lot of people that never get to that point of finishing a book. And it's not patting myself on the shoulder saying, I got it. I finished it. No, but that's a gift you give yourself when you finish something, whether it be writing a book or learning to play the guitar, or, you know, or a sports, you know, do, joining a sports team, um, whatever it is. Starting a podcast. Starting a podcast. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many podcasts out there, but guess what? If you want to stand out, if you want to put the time in, if you want to put a quality product out there, right. you might stand out and, or you have a, that's the cool thing about now. It's kind of scary about now. And it's, it's, it's powerful right now is everyone has a voice. Right. And that's, what's different about humanity. I study history a lot. Um, and, you know, for most of history, uh, the average person had hardly any voice, maybe with their friends or family, those closest to them, but they didn't have any platform. Now, it doesn't matter what you're born into, what circumstances you have, you can get your word out there. You can get your voice heard by people. Um, and it's not that hard to do. Now, it's hard to stand out. Yes. But again, if you're willing to put the time into it, if you're willing to start a podcast and willing to grow a reader, you know, a, a viewership or, or listeners, the ability is out there and it doesn't cost very much to do it either, yeah. Um, yeah. which is pretty amazing. So. Well, I don't want you to stop writing thrillers, but you might have a shot at self-help books and, uh, you know, inspirational <laughs> ones with this talk. <laughs> They'd probably be pretty short, though. Yes, I can, I can definitely talk it. But I, I, I had someone tell me at one point they were going to try to sign me up for, like, get some kind of motivational thing. And I'm like, right. oh, then it would sound horrible. I don't want to stand in front of 10,000 people. I'd probably sound like an idiot. And then I'll have to actually create an outline. And then I'll actually have to have a cognizant thought process. I'm just let it. Stick with the thrillers. Stick with the thrillers. But (laughs) I would like to write other stuff. I talked about writing a children's book with my daughter all this year, and we have not done it. So I need to probably get back to this. She had a really interesting idea. And I said, I know some people in the industry. We might be able to get get some movement on that. Um, But um, Brad Meltzer is one of my favorites. And I love, besides his writing, I love the fact that he's not just Brad Meltzer political thriller. Um, He's Brad Meltzer children's book author right? and his children's books. I mean, I buy them when they come out. I just got the Oprah Winfrey one, read it to my daughter. Uh, my daughter had heard of Oprah Winfrey. She's 10, but she didn't know much about her. And, you know, I got to tell her the story of how, again, you've got someone like that, that, you know, there's not too many Oprah's born out there, but Oprah born out. She was born in abject poverty, right. no bathroom in her house. I think no running water, if I recall. Um, you know, and, and she has materially become successful, but also from a personal standpoint, she's touched right. so many people's lives. She has right. that, um, that school down in uh, Africa, South Africa that she has. And, um, you know, I think at some point, especially if you start getting older, you start thinking, what are you going to leave behind? Um, and, you know, the, the best thing to do is leave the best version of yourself out there. But, you know, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Um, and I've had a, I had a friend a couple of years ago tell me that. Um, he said, just think about what you want written on your tombstone. Um, and he was dead serious about it. And I, and I did, I spent some time thinking about that. Um, and, uh, it was a good time of introspective because, you know, life's, life's flying by. Um, I won't admit how old I'll be this coming weekend, but much older than I, than I thought I, you know, it should be at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going quick, but, um, you know, it's up to you how you enjoy the ride as well. And, for me, I knew it was, I knew the writing was something I had in me that I had to get out of me. And that's the, I've had that question asked before, but why do you write? And it's just because I have to, it's, it's really as easy as that. I have stories to tell. Um, if there's people out there that want to read them, then I'm honored. That's bonus. But I have stories I have to tell and they have to come out, whether I sell one copy, zero copies, I'm just writing stories for my best friends um, and that was one, uh, someone, I think it was an editor I used earlier on. He said, if, uh, before he started editing my book, uh, one of the books, he said, if I tell you right now, this book won't get published, will you write a second book? Would you still and do it? I was it? just yeah. like, absolutely. I said, yeah. then I'll write a third book and I'll write a fourth book. And I do believe one of them will get published, 
But even if you tell me, no, none of them will be published, even if you're Nostradamus, um, I'll probably give you a, a, a hand gesture, a dirty hand gesture, but also I'll write another book because I'm supposed to do that. Um, are they supposed to be successful? I don't know. That's out of my control. Um, right. I'll do the best I can. Hey, birthday, publication day. This is a big week coming up for you. It is a big week. I got to choose the publication date, actually. So you my, my okay. publisher said they wanted a date in November. And I thought about my birthday for a second. <laughs> I was like, that okay. would be a cool birthday present. You got Veterans Day. So it's, yeah, it's, it's come out on Veterans Day. And, and I, I reached out to several you know, big name authors that are veterans just to say, hey, if I came out with a book on that date, and I told them the reason why I was asking them, um, and I'll tell you in a second, if I come out with a book on that date, is that going to be okay? Because I'm not a veteran. Um, I did not serve. I have a ton of my, one of my best friends served um, for 20 years. I have a, I mean, flags that are behind me and stuff came from him. He actually got me flags and Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Kosovo, uh, Libya. I mean, all over the place. I have a pile of flags that um, he gifted me, but I didn't want to, I want to talk to some veterans to make sure I wasn't using Veterans Day as a way to sell books. I was really careful about that because it's not the reason I chose Veterans Day. I didn't choose it because it was Veterans Day. I chose it because uh, my mom's mother, uh, call her Nanny, my grandmother, uh, that was her birthday. She passed away uh, 2010. So she never got to see me publish a book. She never got to um, read the book. I've got a memorial for her remember, you know, in, in the front under uh, books dedicated to my mom, uh, but it's also dedicated to my grandmother. So when he said he wanted a date in November, I said, can I pick it? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I, they're a publisher. I said, I don't want to, um, I don't want to go around Thanksgiving. I want to go earlier in the month. And they just said, mm-hmm. well, pick a day. And I said, well, I wanted to honor my grandmother. So that's why the 11th, that was actually her birthday. Um, so that's why uh, it's Veterans Day happens to that. be her birthday. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's about my grandmother. Um, like I said, he's, there's even a, uh, if you read the acknowledgments, there's something in there. But there was a part of the book um, I was researching that required uh, a number and a name, kind of a, a combination. At least what I was looking into, all the, the, these things had this. And so I said, well, I need to name it something. I need to come up with it. And, um, and I used actually her address. I used, oh. I used the address she lived in uh, back when she was alive. And I spent a lot of time with her there. Um, and that's something that I just, as a way to honor her, uh, if I wasn't saying on this podcast, no one would ever probably know it. Um, but it is in the, it is in the acknowledgements. I mentioned the acknowledgement that that's for her, but, um, yeah, that's the fun part of writing. Right. Um, actually right before we got on, I was saying uh, goodnight to my daughter. I was telling her I was coming on a podcast and she asked me, she was like, so am I in this book, daddy? No, she's asked me this a hundred times. I was like, well, you're in the acknowledgements. And she goes, I'm, I'm that's all. I'm not in a character. Like, no. And she's like, Well, why am I not? And I was like, Well, you know, well, hold <laughs> on. There is a female character that I have no doubt, you know, if you're ra- the way you're raising your daughter, she has a chance to be as strong and as confident and a trailblazer as this character. So maybe, maybe her spirit is in there, you know, her future. I, yeah, I hope so. Well, I, to me, some of the, you know, you have to name characters, obviously. Um, and I don't know how most authors do that. I never really asked, Hey, how do you name characters? Um, I have a lot of different ways I do it, but I always in every, and this is like I said, this is the fourth book. Plus I've started a a whole bunch of others. Um, I like to put a couple of the characters in there that are real people. It's not always their personality or whatever um, with the exception of this book, the body man. Um, and I do mention this in the acknowledgments as well. There is an FBI agent named Wes Russell. So Wes is a real guy. Uh, he is actually was an Iraq war veteran. Oh, so, wow, okay. um, I, I need to sit down and do some audio recordings with him this fall as I'm working on the next book, because he has a few stories that he's already given me permission to use, uh, that I'm going to give to the body man for the second book, because there's stories that you just like. No, this isn't real. This it couldn't have real. happened. Right. This couldn't have happened, but he's not full of it. It's a real right. story. Um, so I had a scene where we were out camping. This couple of years ago, we were out camping. And I was telling about the book I was writing at the time. And um, and I was like, well, I'll put you in the, I'll put you in a book. I gotta have characters. And and he said, Well, I know I know my last words. Well, I know what they're gonna be. And so uh 
He goes, will you put them in the book? Oh, wow. I said, well, if I'm, I said, then I'd have to kill you, but um, <laughs> I don't care about that. So, uh, so for one of the characters, he's a real person. And if you read that part of the book, those are his, what he believes his last two words on earth will be. Oh, and wow. I said, and it made it through, it made it through editing. The publisher didn't shoot it down. So, uh, um, but stuff like that's fun. I mean, he's tickled pink. The book's coming out. He's told a whole bunch of his friends and his dad and all this. So I'm in the book, um, man, if I can do that, that simple little thing of include someone's name and it makes their day or right. not that it sells books, um, but that it just, I mean, myself, I, you know, I'm a writer, but above and beyond, I was a fan before I wrote any books and I still, you know, I'm, I'm a nobody. I, I might turn into somebody here soon, but I'm a nobody, but I've, I'm in a couple books. Um, and so anytime my name's in a book, you know, I, That's pretty first cool. time I opened one of Jack Carr's books and I was in acknowledgments, you know how many people I showed that to like, I mean, of course, half of them were like, who's Jack Carr? I'm like, what's wrong with you people? That's pretty cool. <laughs> but when I showed up in his acknowledgments, uh, and I met him, uh, this 2018, I believe, the first time I met him out in uh, New York City at okay. Thriller Fest. Um, and then when the uh, True Believer came out, um, I was flipping through the book and I was reading the acknowledgments, and there was my name in the same paragraph, I think, with uh, Brad Taylor and uh, Tony Tata. Yeah, that's what it was in that one. Um, and I was just kind of looking at it going, am I seeing this correctly? <laughs> Step one, get your name in the book. Step two, get on the terminal list uh, set with Amazon, get a cameo in the background. Now that would be, you know, the next step forward. That's a, that's yeah, a little that, harder, I must say. That was probably, yeah. I will say I texted him one day and he was on set. He okay. Said, Chris Pratt's here. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to send a message to Chris. What in the world? But so no. you were virtually on set. That was, yeah, I was texting Jack while he was on set and he, uh, he was, he was living, but you know, again, that's someone, um, just look at other, other authors and first of all, not necessarily what they achieve, but how they get there. Um, and he's someone that if you just look, watch his social media interaction, his interviews right, and stuff, right. such a genuine and, and humble person, um, who at this point, you know, achieved a pretty good level of success in the industry. And I think right. when, I, I think when the Amazon series comes out, he's going to, you know, he might be here. He's going to blow through the stratosphere. Oh, absolutely. At um, uh, I might not get my text responded after that. Um, but uh, no, but he couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And, you know, someone that put in their time, um, not only have I met him, but, you know, I, I watch a lot of the interviews he'll do and stuff. And, you know, and he's, he's, he knew when he was young, what he wanted to do. He knew he wanted to be a writer. He knew he wanted to be a seal. And again, what did he do? He stuck to a plan, created a plan, stuck never to quit it very well. And he never quit. And I think he wrote his first, his first two books were written on spec. So he did not have a contract when he wrote, I know Terminalist was definitely done. And I think True Believer was pretty well done before the book went to uh, Emily Bessler. So, um, you know, he, he took that leap of faith and said, okay, I'm going to try to write a couple books because this is what I want to do. And um, I think your belief has a lot to do it. Your belief comes out. So I, I'm sure there's people out there that can fake it. Um, but I'd say the vast majority can't. So, and, and believing in yourself is a huge first step. And again, like we were talking before, uh, if you believe in yourself, there's a good chance what you're doing is what you want to do. It's what you want to achieve. Um, and having that self-confidence is going to help you get over the finish line or at least get you closer to the finish line right. versus if you have doubts and I know that writers have doubts, writers have writer's block and all these things. Um, but I think really, if you, um, if you put in the hard work and you believe in yourself and ultimately the two words, you never quit, um, you're going to get over that finish line. Again, that finish line might not look like what you thought it was going to look like. It right. might, it might not be what you wanted, but there's going to be a lot of lessons to learn um, when you get, when you achieve whatever your goal is, whatever your dream is. So, absolutely. But let's uh, let's dig into your book, The Body Man. I mean, absolutely. we talked so much about the writing process. I want to read for the people who haven't seen this little teaser. I guess you can call it that's on the cover. Sure. And again, yeah. no spoilers here. So everybody who no has not pre-ordered the book. We've got a few more days to do so. Make sure you get your copy on publication day coming this Thursday, November 11th. But check out this teaser. And I want to ask you, who is the body man listening to this? Who protects the life of the president? The Secret Service. Who protects the secrets of the presidency? 
the body man, and he's vanished without a trace. Now, I've, I've heard of the body man in real life. Usually I thought of this low-key position who is always by the president's side for the logistics and maybe the, the minute-to-minute needs of where are my glasses, you know, uh, can I get a glass mm-hmm. of water, you shuffle my papers. But man, you take this in a whole nother direction, almost like what Chris Howdy did, totally spinning everything on its head when we find out yeah. who and what the body man is. So without saying too much, where did this idea come from of the body man? So good question. So I was actually, it's been, it's been several years now, it was several years that I even finished the first draft. So um, I was actually of all thing, you know, I had a family of four. I was doing a cleaning job one night. I wanted a new book idea. I'd finished, I think my second book at the time. I might've been working on the third. I can't remember. It's, it's been a few years, um, but I was at this cleaning job and I said, well, I, I need a new story. And so it was about a three hour job or so. So I got in there that night, turned the, turned the alarm off on this uh, office building. And it wasn't a voice. It wasn't anything like that. But I just had this thought pop through my head. There's always someone who knows where the bodies are buried. And then at first, I was taken back by it at first. I'm like, the heck, am I supposed to write a mafia book or something? I'm like, but I played with it in my head for a very quick period of time. And I said, well, who would know where the bodies are buried? And I said, well, the body man would know where the bodies are buried. Um, and then immediately the next thought I had was I had saw something on the news about President Obama. And he had a guy that worked for him named Reggie Love, real guy. And the media called him the body man. I've been asked this a few times, and I honestly never dug into Reggie's uh, what he did for Obama. And maybe what he really did isn't even out there. I do know a Secret Service agent that knew Reggie and, 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 and interacted with him. So that was kind of fun to meet, meet up with this agent after the fact and say, oh, yeah, I knew Reggie. Um, but I don't know what Reggie did. I, I think I had heard or saw something that, you know, he held his Blackberry and, you know, the president might have smoked. So he might have held the cigarettes for him. You know, a few things like that. But he was there to help the president do whatever he needed. So that thought popped in my head and immediately I rejected that and said, well, that's going to be a horrible book because what, you know, stat, I need my Blackberry to send a text. No, you know, you know, the, the last president, they just took his, his iPhone away from him basically and, you know, disabled his account. So, um, but so I played with it in my head and I said, well, you know, I had three hours ahead of me. I said, well, what if there actually was a role that the secret service referred to as the body man, but what if their job wasn't to protect the president? What if their job was to protect the office? Um, and what does that look like? And so for over three hour time period, I really flushed out, it wasn't the exact story of what you read now, but I flushed out a good high level of what that would actually be. Um, and where I came down with that is, well, if the body man has the, um, if the president does something they shouldn't do, the body man steps in, and they become a cleaner. They clean it up, they make the problem go away. Um, but the second part of this is if the body man has the ability to prevent the president, him or her, from doing something that's going to damage the reputation of the office, the body man has the authority to stop that from happening. Um, in this book, it's presented, but it's not flushed out like it, it's not a major storyline. In the books that are coming, because you know how Washington is, they do not like the idea of someone being unelected and having power. Right. And you have someone that really, when I kind of chewed up what this role did, I'm like, this person has a tremendous amount of power. And they really do, in my, in my creation, um, and maybe this is a real person, we're not going there, but um, they really do have no authority over them. So they can kind of carte blanche, do whatever they want. Well, that's could be a real dangerous situation. And um, in the second book, especially uh, the role kind of becomes a little more visible and people don't like this. They don't like someone out there that, you know, has in, in essence more power than the president of the United States. Um, so that needs to be stopped. Um, you know, can it be stopped? Do we want it stopped? I don't know, but um, we'll find out. Uh, one, I'm intrigued to hear that there is future, you know, for the body man, because the way you leave us with a cliffhanger, I'm not going to say much more. There's <laughs> definitely another story there. You can absolutely sure. tell you left us wanting the next sequel of the story. But I think even if someone could look at what you've created with this position of the body man, this unelected person kind of operating in the shadows, I think, and this is something Vince would often do, he would have a character or a position that represented a lot more than just the individual. The person represented a part or a slice of a society 
oftentimes, you know, in the political sphere that he wanted to, you know, beat down or in the intelligence world where that person represented, you know, the competence uh, or the people that we actually need in power doing the right thing. And so the characters stand for a lot more. I feel like the body men, as you described, could stand for so many things in the real world. These shadow operators that do have power, that do have authority, that no one elected, no one knows about. And now you've simply taken that, put it in the White House and gave it to somebody who we trust with that responsibility, which right. opens up a whole door of storytelling. What happens if it's not somebody we can trust down the road? And there's a million avenues to take that. Right. Well, and I, it's probably a subconscious thing I'm doing when I'm writing these. I'm always trying to, you know, look at the world and look at what's going on in the world. And so definitely when I was writing this, there was a lot of political upheaval going on. Um, the division between people, I mean, it's at right. a, uh, it's at an almost asinine level right now. And I don't know that it can come back. That's what scares me. But what I try to do with the stories and not smack you in the face with it, but I'm trying to ask bigger questions. Um, I'm definitely asking it with the body man role of, okay, are you guys okay with someone in there um, that's elected? And, you know, and there's probably going to be people that would say, no, I would not want that. And there's other people who be like, well, these jokers are elected and they're horrible. Right. So sure, let's bring in someone that's, you know, that's not one of them. Right. That's not interested in power. And um, yeah, I, I think it opens up a lot of ethical questions. It opens up, but I, I do want people, I don't know, to me, and again, I write in a way for myself. Um, I like a book that makes me ask questions. It makes me think outside the uh, the, 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 the you know, the book, what you're used to, uh, right. outside the bounds. Um, yeah. Speaking of like Chris and deep state, I mean, he did some stuff in that book that you just don't ever, you haven't seen before, or at least I hadn't seen before. Um, and that's what intrigued me about his storytelling. Um, cause I think it's very easy. I think the publishing world is very, uh, um, you know, they like safety. They mm-hmm. like to make money, of course. And I, I'm capitalist. I can totally understand that. But I think sometimes that ends up leading to um, formulas. Um, Okay. You know, the guy has to meet the girl, the girl, there has to be some kind of drama and then they have to reconnect at the end, you know, change it up. You know, sometimes that works, but I don't. And that's one thing that I will say that I don't make promises after one book because that would be very stupid. But, um, you know, I'm going to try to keep things fresh. I want to keep things relevant. But I also do want people to, like, ask some questions when they're reading the book. Yeah. Um, and again, not be preachy with it, for sure. And, I, you know, I think unknowing to me, probably, again, because I have Vince on my Rushmore, I think I learned to do a lot of that from just reading Vince's book. Um, uh, Transfer of Power was the first one I had read. And that was, I mean, it's, it's right here. It's uh, and actually, it's the only Vince Flynn book that I have that's signed. Um, that's a good one. That was, and it's, it, it's his old, it's, it's not his, it's not his common signature. He actually does have his middle initial in there. And it's the taller one. Yeah. He's got the yes. taller V and the taller um, initial early on. Like yeah. You tell transfer power days. And then it became this very almost squat, you know, where all the, the characters are almost the same height later on. So you could tell, you know, what stage of his career. He what signed stage that he was in. in. Yeah. So I, that's my most, I have a lot of books that I treasure. Um, that's my most treasured one. Um, I'm in other books. I have signed books from my favorite authors and I love those books. But if someone says if the house is burning down, you can grab one book. Well, besides your kids' pictures or anything like that, you can grab one of your books on the shelf that's sitting here. That's the one I'm grabbing all day long. Um, So that's the one. Yeah, that was, that was a cool one to uh, to get. I'll tell you the story another day, how I got that one. Um, It's not a, (laughs) it probably surprised people. Um, But uh, yeah, that's, that's, but yeah, he's the way he did things definitely influenced me. Um, You know, when he, when he died, I mean, people were just like grieving. People that never knew him, um, never had interacted with him. Um, I think, uh, who was it? Oh, Jack Carr. And not to bring up Jack again, but Jack actually, uh, one of the podcasts he did, I, I was watching. He actually got to meet Vince, I think, at SHOT Show and got to spend like an hour with him or something. Yeah. And I think he even joked and said he didn't even get a selfie with him because it was back before selfie days or all that. Um, but um, Or maybe he did get a picture but didn't have it or whatever it was. There was no, no photographic proof of it after the fact. But, um, you know just to have that interaction and learn from him. And he, you know, he's one of those ones that, man, if I could have met an author and picked Absolutely. his brain, um, I would have loved to, because 
again, he, I, and I, I think he, and I can't speak for him, but I think he learned from Tom, uh, you know, and Tom learned from someone else. It's always, right. that's the cool thing about writing. And it's such a, it's such an open community where people try to help each other. Right. I, I'm constantly, um, not constantly, but you know, every couple of months, someone re- will reach out to me and say, Hey, will you read my book? You know, someone that has not got published, trying to get published. Um, and I'll, I do it and, you know, I don't get a million requests like someone like a Jack Carr or, you know, a Vince probably would have gotten, um, but I'm able to do it, but I'm also wanting to do it because I want to try to help someone um, just like I got helped because, you right. know, there were some really big name authors from the get go that said, hey, if you need something, let me know. And I was kind of like, you know, it was only a tweet or only a direct message on Twitter, but I'm like, really? Cool. They're going to help me. <laughs> they were sincere about it. Um, I sent the book out this last, the last couple of weeks, I sent some copies out to my favorite authors, um, yeah. which was really exciting and really intimidating. Cause it's like, right. I hope they like it. And if I hope they don't like it, man, I hope they lie really good. And I, don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that they're pulling you know, that they really hated this book. So that's good. Um, yeah. The people that everyone is so open, right? Everyone yeah. we, starting this podcast, we very early on said, it would be a dream. We obviously couldn't have Vince, but Rick, it would be a dream to get to talk to Kyle Mills. Yeah. Neither Chris nor I are writers. We were never aspiring writers. We never even considered something like a thriller fest. And we were just, we wanted to market the whole thing as who we were, be real, two fans, two nobodies, but we love these books and we couldn't find, we couldn't stop talking about them when we'd hang out. And so we said, hey, let's, let's start this up. Well, immediately, David Brown was like, Hey, I want to know more about what you guys are doing. We're like, Whoa, the publicist who knew Vince Flynn and like traveled with Vince Flynn and like was buddies with him. And then he's like, when do you want to talk to Kyle? We're like, what? Like everyone was just so open. And then all the authors we've had on since just what a great group of people in the thriller community. There's nothing like it. No, there's nothing like it. And I think there's several reasons for that. I think most, most writers, and again, there's no, there's no all um, it's never everything, never all there's always the, uh, the out, outliers, but um, most people that get into this are passionate about what they do. Um, most of them, it's not a first career. You know, there's True. very few people that this, their first job is they write books and they're actually successful. So most people have matured. Right. Um, they've kind of learned how life is. They kind of learn how you treat people. Um, you know, I think that's not knocking Hollywood, but you know, if you're, I won't name names, but if you're one of these people and you're 16, 17 years old and someone gives you millions of dollars and gives you anything you want, it's, it's kind of like what happened with, you know, rock and roll stars probably still does, but definitely back in the eighties and nineties, whatever they wanted, they had, right. Oh, you're down. We'll get you on drugs. You, get, you want girls, you get girls, you get anything you want. We, so I had that conversation. I took my son to a Rolling Stones concert, um, uh, the end of September, which was an amazing experience. It was such a cool experience. I'd never seen the Stones, um, but but it also opened up a conversation for us. And we talked about some of the people that had died young and what mm-hmm. happened to them. And you know what I told my son is, um, you've got someone that's standing up there in front of fifty or sixty thousand people, rocking out, and they come off a stage, and two days later they're back at their house. They're alone. There's no one screaming. They're all alone. They don't get the adoration, and they want to fix. They want to pick me up. So what do they turn to? Often they return to drugs. And sometimes it would kill them and definitely would a lot of times they'd become addicts and, um, you know, they did not end up having a great life. So they had this amazing skill and this, this ability to draw people in and they were miserable. And I don't, from my interaction, you don't see that with writers. And again, I think there's, it's not to compare them with rock stars. I mean, some of these writers are rock stars, especially in my mind. Um, But they're older. Most of them have families and, you know, and this is, uh, they're following their passion but they also know how to put things, you know, in perspective. And for that one, I always do go back to, uh, and not trying to name drop here, but I always go back to, back to Brad Meltzer for that. Um, and he's one that I've has been kind enough to interact with me since early on in social media. Um, he's been super supportive. I met him a couple of years ago at an event he did in Atlanta, but I look at how he treats people. And I, and I, I even ask people stories, Hey, have you ever interacted with Brad Meltzer? Every single person that's interacted with Brad Meltzer has the same story. He's the greatest guy. He's the best. Nice. And no one's like, eh, you know, he seemed okay. No, everyone, you know, there's stories of him helping people move books and do this and that. And, um, you know, it's just 
you meet these genuine people that really care about others. And I think too, they, they, they know what it was like to get started for, especially for writing, you know, they knew what it was like to try to get an agent or to get your first publishing deal. And it's brutal. The grind, um, yeah. There's no, and there's no rhyme or reason to it always, because I've, I, you know, I get advanced books uh, on occasion, not as many as I used to, but um, I get some sometimes from authors and they're really, really good books and they can't get an agent to give them the time of day. And it's just like, man, you know, this person, and I'll read some other books that are published that I heard are great and I'll read it and I'll be like, eh, you know, mm-hmm. I won't get past the first chapter. And right. that's the other thing I've started to do just because time is getting like precious. Man, if I'm not drawn in the first chapter or two, I used to finish it because I've started this book. I'm obligated to finish it. No, if you can't hook me in that first chapter or two, I don't care who you are. There's a good right. chance and that'll put your book down because there's another one out there. Um, so, which, which puts a lot of pressure then on writers of, and they say that all the time with agents and stuff, that first paragraph, that first line, um, I wrote a, I won a first line contest several years ago at Thriller Fest. Steve Barry actually, um, uh, said it was the best line and, wow. you know, Love uh, Steve several, Barry. several people got it. Oh yeah. Steve's, he's a great, great writer. Yes. Um, so I, I, so I had to take that line and the, the thing I wrote with that was not something that was actually turning into a novel. So I was like, how do I take this first line and put it into one of my novels? And, and I found a way. So, uh, you know, at some point when that book comes out, I can say, well, that, that one did win best first line by Steve Barry. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool to hear. It reminds me that Chris and I were hoping maybe towards the end of uh, covering Vince's series, we want to do a recap of Vince's best opening lines and rank the books according, you know, pick our top five best opening Absolutely. lines of a Vince Flynn book. So maybe thrillers in general, we'll do that for, uh, for all thrillers. That would be, be really cool. cool. Or, that'd be cool to compare. I never thought about doing that, but even just to compare different authors, how they start, um, how they start their books, like That's those first, point. you know, how does Jack Carr's first lines compare to how Vince does it or how Tom did it um, or how, how Mark Graney does it or, or whatever. But yeah, but there's some there's just some really really good writers out there. That's what's that always gives me hope too for the future. Because um, the other thing I'll just say real quick is, uh, I think people have the impression that well writers don't want to help each other because they're competition, and it's like yeah, I spent a year writing. Not really, I, I write them quicker than most people or quicker than some, but a year total marketing it, all the other stuff. I, I spent a year on a book. Someone's going to read it in four to eight hours, depending on their reading speed. Um, they're not just going to read my book. There's a good chance that if someone reads them that fast, they're probably reading a hundred books a year. It's the rising so tide. Yeah. The rising tide. Lifts all boats. Boats. Yep, Absolutely. Exactly. It's totally true. So, um, so there is no competition that I've seen. I haven't, and I've been around a bunch of these uh, authors at conferences and just watching events and stuff. And there's camaraderie is what there is. And you see that really a blessing. you see that on social media when someone posts, Hey, I just finished all the Brad Thor books. Anybody have a suggestion? And they're just, they want yeah. the next name. You know, they want the other folks right. and yeah, people are clamoring for the genre. It just shows the strength. I would say of the genre as a whole as well, that it's not going anywhere. Like thriller genre is, yeah. is it's got a, it's got an audience. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of very creative, and you know, again, it's, it's, it can be very, it's possible to fall into a formula, but man, the guys and, and ladies that are out there writing, the, the creativity just comes out. Um, and there's so many really good books out there. And, uh, you know, even just bring it back to Vince, um, we were talking earlier how, you know, people mourn for him and, you know, everyone thought myself included, everyone did that the series is done. Um, and then of course, okay, the new guys come in, Kyle Mills. Okay. You know, they're going to try to keep this thing alive. Um, man, did he nail it though? Right. Man, did he nail it? And I've, I've, I've got all his books, um, his Vince books and, uh, um, he really is a master to be able to pick up where someone left off and keep it going. And, but, what I think, and I haven't, I, I interact with Kyle some. Kyle's a great guy. Um, I really appreciate any time I res- message him and he responds back and all that. Um, but what's so amazing is he took a character that a lot of people love and he just didn't flatline that character, not kill it, but flatline in the sense of, well, keep going what, what right. Vince did. Ho-hum. He's actually turning this into what 
Kyle thinks it should do. Yeah. Um, and he's growing the character and he's growing the, the, the storylines and, um, you know, which kudos. I mean, I, yeah, you're going to just, you're, you know, I, I hope he writes him for as long as they'll let him. Um, Cause he just does such a great job. Um, great job doing so. So but right. I would not want that job. I would not. I like uh, Don Bentley just got, you know, the Clancy books. Um, right. And Mark Cameron does the Clancy books. Um, I don't believe Eric Bishop would ever be contacted, so I don't have to worry about that. But I tell you what, that would be intimidation. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I that, that takes some courage to, to carry on a legacy um, that's been because because even like I said, when when Tom died or when Vince died, um, the books didn't just falter at that point, or they weren't rehash of their same stories. Um, these guys that have stepped in to fill these roles have excelled um which is cool very cool and the balance look we covered recently the survivor by kyle and Mm -hmm. the the due diligence that he put in to respect vince and he took little hints from the last man and -hmm. planted those seeds that vince gave and just they blossomed and he earned you know the right to advance the character by showing i can be true to vince's vision and now however many what seven or eight books in with more on the way he can grow it and make it his own. And so I think that's a model, you know, as you're talking about Don and others picking up series, they have a model in what, in what Kyle did to respect the craft, but also put your stamp on it. What did Kyle have like three pages that Vince had started? Right. Exactly. That's that's like kind of, where was he going to go with this? There's no notes. I remember one of the Kyle's interviews on it. Um, He didn't have very much to go with. Exactly. um, Yeah. Kudos hats off to Kyle. And and, um, again, He's, he's, he's nailing it. He's nailing it. And he's showing, he's, he's showing how he's showing how good people can put out some pretty amazing products is what he's showing. Right. Hey, so since we're talking about Mitch rap here, we got to ask you, like we do most of our guests, do you have a favorite Mitch rap novel, a favorite character from the series? Tell us about how you met Vince and how you got into Mitch rap. Yeah. So um, again, I attribute a lot of that to my dad. So my dad worked for the phone company um, growing up and my dad would uh, he'd constantly bring back these tattered paperbacks. And so he'd hand them to me and I started with Clancy um, and a whole bunch of other authors that he brought. But Clancy was the one that always stood out. That was always when dad brought you back, you know, the newest, you know, when, when Rainbow Six got in your hands or the bear and the dragon got in your hands you were, you know, you were somebody at that point. Um, and those books, I mean, you know, they're, they're, over, they're all here, you know, they're huge. There's, they're big. Bear and the dragon. Bear and the dragon is, uh, is it over a thousand? Yes, it is over a thousand yeah, definitely. pages. And this isn't, this isn't small up uh, or big print either. You know, these are massive prints. Um, but so from there, that kind of got me started with thrillers and political thrillers um and then i don't recall now it's been too many years and i'm getting too much gray hair if dad told me about vince flynn or by that point i read so much on my own um that i don't recall how i found out about vince but as soon as i got i believe that i read transfer of power before i read term limits um of course term limits came out first and vince uh, pretty much self-published that. I think he was hawking that out of the trunk of his car. Right. Um, which again, to me is always something I try to tell people, look, um, you know, cause I, I didn't sign with a major huge publisher. I didn't end up with a big thing and that's okay. I got my foot in the door and you know, you know, you have to be careful because if you think you're going to be the next Vince Flynn, you're probably going to be the next disappointed person is what you're going to be. You're not going to be the next Vince Flynn. Right. But what you need to take out of that is if Vince can make it, you can make it. Yes. Well, again, how was Vince going to make it? Vince didn't quit. Um, he was selling, you know, he was working insurance sales or yep. something like that, I believe. So, you know, just selling books, schlepping <laughs> however he could to get his foot in the door. And why? Because he loved what he did. He believed in what he was doing. Um, it wasn't a marketing thing. Um, you can't write those kind of things. Well, you could, I guess, but as a general rule, you, you write stuff like that because you're passionate about that. So, exactly. um, yeah, so probably to answer your question, long form transfer of power is probably my favorite, not just because I have it signed, but probably also because it's signed. Um, but that kind of got me started in, right. in, in right. reading Vince, um, for characters, it's hard. Always the standard is, oh, Mitch Rapp's always my favorite. 
But what I think Vince did such a great job of is he brought in this cast of characters around Mitch right. that carry Mitch most of the time, you know, cause I mean, there's times in the series that, you know, Mitch isn't always the, the, the guy you necessarily want to root for. You know, he's not always making the decisions that I would want to make or that I want to see my heroes make. Yep. Um, but the cast of characters. So that, and that's a hard one. Um, yes. I don't know how you don't go with Stan Hurley. Probably. I mean, Stan's, probably one stands on the list probably Uh, apart from mitch probably stands the one that i really uh i just i I knew a lot of people probably like him too that uh um, fan favorite yeah so uh one of the friends that i killed in in the body man um he he reminds me of stan so i was probably okay so um but uh (laughs) hey he wanted to die that's all i can say um, but yeah, but, and that's, so that's, that's what I try to do with my characters too. try to make it more of an ensemble. Um, one of the earlier things I had heard from someone that I knew I was onto something with this book is they said, you took a character that is the, one of the quote unquote bad guys and you made him sympathetic. You made us want to root for him, especially towards the end with what occurs. Um, and then when I, when that, when I got that feedback, I was kind of, I was humbled by it, but it was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's where my writing, that's that next step where if you can take a character that you shouldn't root for and give people maybe a reason to root for it, um, you kind of cross a threshold. And I think that just shows that you're getting better at storytelling. Um, Cause it's, it's very easy to just create one dimensional characters. Right. And so you try to as best you can as a writer and it's a learning process is what it is. Nobody does it out of the gate is you, you try to make, make people with a lot of depth and some, you know, people that, you know, give the person a reason to turn the next page, honestly. And I think you also accomplish that. And again, don't want to say too much about spoilers, but with a certain FBI duo that plays a main role, you definitely see that depth of character and relationship building there. So kudos. That was, yeah. a, that was a fun one to write. I will say without giving any spoilers away. And th- that one was probably, I will say, I don't give a spoiler away. That one is really probably, in my mind created because of all the cop action buddy movies I saw when I was, when I used to watch a lot of movies, which uh, I gave up to write. Basically I still do watch some, but half the time people say, Oh, did you see this movie? And I'm like, uh, no, I did not. Yeah. Life of a writer. <laughs> was it pre 2010? Cause if not, <laughs> eh, maybe I might've saw it. Although my kids would just tell you, I slept through them all now. Cause half the time like, Oh, Oh, I slept. Oh, sorry. Quick funny story. So I slept through Deadpool 2. Now there was a <laughs> I was with some special forces guys out at Campbell and late night going to a movie theater. And the movie theater was on prom night of all nights. And the, apparently the air conditioning didn't work. We got to the oh. back theater and it's like 80 degrees. Yikes. I'm already old anyways. So I sit back and I fell asleep and I wake up and I look over and, and my buddy who's part of fifth group, he's just still staring away. He's much, he's like 20 years, not 20 years, but he's much younger than me. Um, and uh, he never said a word about me sleeping. So I come home and I tell my friend, God, I fell asleep during Deadpool. He's like, how much did you sleep during? I have no idea. Let's go see it. Yeah. <laughs> I slept through about 45 minutes of that movie. Cause I stayed awake for the second time the whole time. And when I fell asleep, I was like, okay, this is where I don't remember anything after. And I just kept watching for 45 minutes. I'm like, there we are again. And I was like, look down at my watch and I'm like, oh, that's pathetic. I just paid twice to see this movie. And you didn't wake up covered in popcorn sitting with special forces guys. I thought they'd be, you know, ribbon on you. I, I, they must have been so <laughs> enthralled that they didn't even see that I was sleeping. Apparently I wasn't snoring. They were that into was the good. movie. Okay. That, that, I think that I would have got sense. hit. That makes sense. <laughs> Oh, well, you hinted at it before. So as we wrap up here, what's next for the body man? Because something tells me, and I was happy to hear you say it before, there's more juice in the tank for Eric Bishop, but also for this story of Nick Jordan and crew. So what what can we expect next? Where are you headed with this? So tentatively, the next book is, I always come up with a title before I start writing a book. Um, of course, publishers normally have that final say so they can change your title on you. Um, so as of now, and what I'm crafting is called Breach of Trust. Um, and it actually starts off pretty close to when the body man ends. Um, so uh, 
it's a much bigger story. It's much more of a global story. Um, and it's as the name kind of says, is there's a breach of trust going on. Um, there's actually multiple characters that it's tied in through. Um, but like I hinted to earlier without giving much away is that the people that don't like the fact that there's a, someone called the body man that's that close to the president that has that much authority um, or power. And so, um, yeah, that's going to be challenged. Okay, um, I'm ready my, for my, it. My, yeah, no, it's uh, I, I said third book. I, I've done something I don't normally do because I'm not even done with the second book as I did actually start mapping out some of the third book and I wrote the first chapter. I don't never done that before. I'm kind of doing some hmm. stuff I haven't done in the last year or so, but I okay. do have the first chapter of the third book written. Doesn't mean that that's what it was. So I will say real quick, the body man started years ago and I actually wrote the first chapter in central park. Um, and it ended up getting changed. So what I wrote versus the finished product, the, the concept was there for sure. A lot of the uh, things going on, but it, it got, it got shifted around. So, um, so just because I've written the first chapter of book three doesn't mean anything today or <laughs> for tomorrow. So it's not um, set in stone. Yeah, no, but the third one though is the second one's going to be really epic. And the third one though, again, I'm trying to add another layer to the onion. The third one, there's going to be a lot more pieces coming into play that uh, I have no idea how I'm going to pull them off. And um, that one to me is the fun part. That was always the thing that I've heard from people. They're like, well, how do you, first of all, how do you, how do you write the book? And it changes for every author. So that's, I don't like answering that question very much, but um, because I'm a pantser, um, which Kyle Mills is the largest plotter that God ever right, created. The opposite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, his outline is right. about half of my book. Right. You know, basically. Um, so he knows, you know, he, Oh, he wakes up in the morning and oh, I'm writing chapter 53 and he wakes right, up the exactly. next day and says, I'm writing chapter 24. I'm like, yeah. so, so I, I kind of, I didn't make fun of him to his face because you know, he's Mitch's dad. So he could probably take <laughs> me out as well. But, um, but I was kind of like, how can he do that? Well, you know, guess what I'm doing with the, with the second book? I, I've written like six chapters that are the next chapters. So I've kind of started bouncing around a little. I've had, right. it's been, well, with all the marketing, with everything you got to do with the book, um, you're not, I'm not writing in the same pattern that I normally would write in the past. And so a lot of times now I'm coming up with an idea and going, this would be a great chapter. And I'm like, well, that has nothing to do with what I'm writing now. And I'm like, it's in here. Give it a shot. All this gray right? hair tells me it might fall out at some point. So I just write it. Put it on paper. Um, exactly. Try something paper. new. Absolutely. So, right. Hey, well, we want to leave you with um, another Mitch Rap pod tradition. We right. often have guests and, and books that we like get their own limerick. So we have a double limerick for you, a Mitch Rap pod special to leave you with. Very cool. Who protects the secrets of the presidency? No doubt, the body man is he. But poof, he is gone. Two agents say, bring it on. More books from Eric Bishop? We'll see. Can't believe it's just a debut. Definitely put this book in your queue. So many twists, not to be missed. The body man delivers all the way through. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's really great talking with you and best of luck on publication day. Thank you. I appreciate it. I like that. So who writes those? You or Chris? That's me. That's me. That's yeah. you. Chris is the brains of the operation. He's the brain. He's he's a scientist. He's a biochemist. So he's he's got the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty down on things. And I just I just write poetry. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview that Mike had with Eric. Actually, he was able to stay on and, and talk extensively with Mike, some spoilers that we're not going to, we didn't decided not to run with this episode, but instead, in a couple weeks, give you guys a chance to go out there, buy it, um, read it, November 11th, it comes out, and then we'll run that uh, spoiler-filled discussion that um, Eric had with Mike, and it gives me a chance to, to pick up, and I, I'll share my thoughts with uh, with Mike on the pod, too, so. Yeah, maybe we'll run that in a couple of weeks. I know we're doing Order to Kill. I'm pumped about covering another Kyle Mills Mitch Rap book. So we'll do Order to Kill the next couple of weeks. Sorry, guys. It, again, was delayed. I know we're a little out of order in what we promised you, but 
I'm halfway through Order to Kill, so I'll be ready to chat about part one next week of that. Freaking fantastic. Dude, I have a hot take on that. Not going to share it now. You guys, you'll have to come back next week, but Chris, I'm I'm really curious. I'm not going to tell you, but I have a hot take on Order to Kill. Oh, you can't leave me in suspense like that. I, I'm going to leave you and the listeners waiting for next week for my hot take, but it, it's kind it's a big one. It's a big one. All so, right. Yeah, and then so a couple of weeks out, maybe around Thanksgiving time, we'll drop that extra 30 minutes. I got to talk to Eric a little bit, and we have some spoilers where I ask him about the characters, some of his creations, and the plot. And uh, so we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion coming at you. So get your book, get your copy, read through it, and expect that later on in the month. All right. Well, we have to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us at MitchRapPod.com or on Twitter and Insta at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.